Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 15. We've begun to see here in chapter 15 the actual crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we've seen how he's, he's been before these different authorities. And now where we're at in the passage, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ has been placed there on the cross of Calvary. And he's, he's as he's hanging there, understand that he's not just suffering the the judgment of the Romans. He's not just suffering at the hands of the soldiers that are there, but he's actually suffering the judgment of God because we understand that he was bearing our sins and and he was there uh, before God bearing our judgment. And last time we came down to about verse 28 or so. Let's just pick up in verse 29. Mark 15, verse 29. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others. Himself He cannot save. Let Christ the King of Israel descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And they that were crucified with Him reviled Him. And when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink saying, let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. In verse 37, it says, Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. Now, if you notice in verse 34, there's some some words there that even in your English Bible are in a different language. And it gives you the interpretation. But you see the words there, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is actually Aramaic. Okay, now the New Testament is written in the Greek language, but there are certain places, just a few places, where there are Aramaic terms that are there even in the Greek text. And in this case, the the translators didn't translate it because you have the translation in the text, right? So it already tells you what it means. And the fact that he said these words in a different language are significant to what happens in the text. Because you see that even the people who are are there at the cross don't understand what he's saying. Um, they, you know, they aren't clear uh, what he's saying there from the cross, and they misunderstand his words. Now, really, what he's doing is he's quoting from scripture, and you see that in the in the interpretation where it says, "My God, My God, why hast thou forsaken me?" And the place that he's quoting from is from the twenty-second psalm. And let's just turn over there 
to Psalm 22. Now Christ quotes the first verse or part of the first verse of the 22nd Psalm. And really what it is for us is it's a, it's a cue that we ought to go back there and read that Psalm, uh, to see why he would quote that verse. And so in Psalm 22 verse 1, you see what he quotes there. It says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But let's read farther on into the psalm. It says, Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not in the night season and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. But thou art he that took me out of the womb. Thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts. I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have compassed me, strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. But be not thou far from me, O Lord, my strength. Haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. Now, you may have a, a heading in your Bible at Psalm 22, verse 1. Uh, many of the Psalms include a kind of a note or a heading at the top there. And remember that the Psalms were the songs that were sung in the temple. And in Psalm 22, it says, To the chief musician upon Ijaleth Shahar, a Psalm of David. And that, that, um, term Ijaleth Shahar is, a uh, would be a Hebrew term. There's some of these terms that aren't translated in your Bible because it's not always clear what they were referring to, but but um, it's possibly a, a title of this psalm. But you see, you see why Christ would quote this as he's there on the cross? Because the whole psalm, or or at least the uh about the first half of it that we read, is about his crucifixion. Now it asks the question, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now understand, this was originally written by David. And David, as he's writing it, is probably thinking about a situation that he's in. Remember that David, before he uh, secured his position as king, there were you know, all kinds of threats against him. And, and David here is calling on the Lord for help. And yet, so much of what's said here does not apply literally to David. And so it really winds up being a prophetic psalm about the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and it begins with that question, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
Uh, now, with the Lord Jesus Christ, we understand from taking, you know, comparing various scripture and, and understanding what's going on there at the cross of Calvary, we can understand why God would forsake the Lord Jesus Christ as he hung there on the cross. You see, he describes himself as being, he says, I am a worm and no man. He says, I'm a reproach of men and despised of the people. But not only that, in the last lesson, we looked at, at Isaiah 53, where it talked about how his soul was going to be made an offering of sin, offering for sin. And, and how the Lord was going to judge him and, and bruise him in the place of others. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, as he's hanging there on the cross, God is forsaking him because he is there suffering the judgment of God as a guilty sinner. Now understand, he was not a sinner. He didn't commit sin that he was guilty for, that he had to, had to uh, pay for, but he took our sins upon him and paid for them. And God in his holiness and in his righteousness, he, he wasn't looking at Christ lovingly there on the cross. He was looking at Christ in anger about the sin that Christ was bearing and Christ was suffering the very judgment of God on the cross of Calvary for sin. And so so God literally forsook the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's something that Christ in His earthly ministry never experienced. Certainly when Christ was incarnated, there was now a, a separation between Him and God the Father that He hadn't experienced before in eternity past where He enjoyed a a perfect oneness with the Father. When He came into human flesh, now there's a, a certain division between them. But but the Lord is always there, uh, you know, never forsaking Him. But here in these hours when He's there on the cross bearing sin, He He can call out to God, "My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken me?" And you see, He He asks, "Why art Thou so far from helping me and from the words of My roaring?" Um, he, he describes there how he's calling out to God. Now, he didn't do that audibly, but the Lord Jesus Christ, as he's hanging there on the cross, these are, what David's really recording here in a prophetic way is he's recording the thoughts of the Lord Jesus Christ as he hangs there on the cross of Calvary, paying for sin. And, and so you see Christ crying out to God for deliverance. Now, the end part of the psalm that we didn't read yet, talks about the deliverance that God will provide. But understand, that deliverance was not going to come until Christ had died physically and until He had been in, in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. God was going to deliver by raising Him from the dead. Now, as He's there on the cross, the people that are, are around the cross, you know, they're mocking Him and they're saying, you know, He, he trusted in God, let Him deliver Him. He saved others, let Him save Himself. Right? They're, they're doing that in a mocking way. The Lord is going to deliver him, but it's not going to be until his work is completed there and until he's been dead and buried and the Lord will deliver him from that death and he'll rise from the dead. Okay? Now, again, those, those, uh, uh, Pharisees and, and priests that are there, they're saying if, if, uh, he would come down from the cross, then we would believe on him. But he's going to do something better than come down from the cross. He's going to rise from the dead. Uh, it's just going to happen later. Okay, So you have him here crying out to God. And he says there in verse 6 that I am a worm and no man. Now, if you want to do an interesting study on your own, take a concordance and study that word worm. 
And the most, the most common way you'll see that word worm used is as it describes the souls of unbelievers in the lake of fire, and it says where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. In fact, the, the specific worm that it's talking about here, just there, there's, you know, so much, so much meaning there when he says, I am a worm and no man. The specific worm it's talking about here was the scarlet worm. And, and in the Bible, when it talks about scarlet thread or scarlet cloth, the way they formed that dye is there was this specific, the specific worm that they would crush and it, it provided that red that then they could turn into a dye that they would use to dye cloth that bright scarlet color. And you just think about all of the symbolism there as Christ is here shedding His blood there on the cross of Calvary and He calls Himself that scarlet worm. And, and He identifies the same word that the Bible uses to talk about the soul of a, of a guilty sinner suffering the judgment of God in eternity. It says, their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Here Christ says, He says, I'm not a man as I'm hanging here. I'm a worm. And so you have that, that meaning. He's there identified with those guilty sinners. He's identified with the judgment of God. And He's identified with that, that scarlet worm that would be crushed uh, in order to produce that, that scarlet dye. Of course, the, the red blood of Christ that He would shed was not going to dye something red, but it, it talks about how um, even if our sins are as scarlet, they'll be made white as snow. Normally, that that physical scarlet worm that they would crush, they would take white cloth and dye it red, but Christ is being crushed to provide something that's going to take something scarlet and turn it white as snow. And, and, you know, just, there's so much meaning here in this psalm that we can just scratch the surface of it. He says that he's a worm and no man. He says he's a reproach of men despised of the people. He describes how they laugh at him, how they, they shoot out the lip, they shake the head. In verse 8, it says that, uh, they say he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him, let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. Now, in our passage in Mark, it described how the people were uh, calling on him to, to, you know, come down from the cross, save himself. Uh, no doubt there are people there as well, uh, again, in mocking, saying exactly what the psalmist says here, uh, that they would say at his, at his crucifixion. Um, it describes many other, many other details of his crucifixion. One of the things in verse 12, verses 12 and 13, it talks about the bulls of Bashan. And Bashan, was a uh, one of the one of the pagan Gentile peoples uh, there near that land of Israel, and it's associated with idolatry. And you know many of the of the um, uh, priests and and religious leaders are here at the crucifixion. Uh, they're there, no doubt, you know, trying to look very religious and and very righteous. That here this blasphemer is being put to death. But that's really probably who he's referring to here as the bulls of Bashan, which would associate them not with the true worship of God, but with false worship and with idolatry. See, they were, they were giving lip service to God, but in reality, they weren't worshiping God at all. And uh, that's, that's who he would be referring to here as these bulls of Bashan. He describes his physical condition in verse 14. He says, I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. Um, oftentimes as they would hang there on that, 
cross, uh, if you think about the um, just the, the stress that it would put on the shoulders, for instance, to pull those shoulders out of joint. He says that my heart is like wax. And the, the psalmist here, again, is describing a, a method of execution that really wasn't a common method of execution in David's day, uh, if it was even known at all. I mean, this was something that the Romans did as, as a, a way to maximize the pain of, of executing criminals. Uh, as it describes the heart being like wax, understand that what actually kills someone in crucifixion is not the, the wounds in the hands and the feet, right? I mean, you can, you can suffer all kinds of wounds to your hands and feet that aren't going to kill you. What kills somebody in crucifixion is that, that you actually die from a, a lack of oxygen. Because as you're hanging there on the cross, um, you, to, to breathe, you know, your whole body has to, has to lift itself up and all the weight of your body is pulling down upon your shoulders and your chest. Uh, that's why later on in the day, when, when they decide, you know, we gotta kinda speed things up because the Sabbath day is coming and we gotta get these bodies down off the cross, and they send the soldiers to go and break the legs of the men being crucified, once, once they broke your legs, with, you know, otherwise you could hang there on the cross, sometimes literally for days before you would die. Uh, when they broke the legs, now you weren't able to push up anymore to get a breath, and so somebody would die very quickly. But, but, uh, what this did would put, it would put all kinds of, of stress upon the heart. And you remember when Christ was dead, they put a spear in his side and it said that, that blood and water came out. That again is just a, a physical result. Again, there's spiritual significance to that, but it's a physical result of that stress that's put upon the heart. And here the psalmist describes how his heart was like wax, how it was melted, it says, in the midst of my bowels. Uh, verse 15 says, My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of death. Now, in a moment, we'll, we'll talk about how they thought he was thirsting, and he did thirst there on the cross. Uh, there it describes that. Uh, verse 17 says that, or verse 16 rather, says, For dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. Dogs is generally a term that was used by Jews of the Gentiles. Now, there are Gentiles there around him as well. You have the, the Romans there around him. But the Jews that are there mocking him as well, they've basically become no better than Gentiles. Romans chapter 1 and, and uh, chapter two, 2 describe how for, for unbelieving Israel, uh, the fact that they were Israel, the fact that they were circumcised, that didn't benefit them at all. It didn't make them any better than the Gentiles and the uncircumcised. Uh, he, he says there, verse 16, again, they pierce my hands and my feet. Now, again, I don't know what David was thinking of when he wrote those words, but it's obviously a, a clear description of crucifixion. Um, you know, it's hard to tell what, what David was thinking about, but again, prophetically, clearly talking about the crucifixion of Christ. Verse 17 says, I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. And understand that long before Christ gets there to the cross, he's suffered all kinds of beatings and scourgings, and often they would scourge someone to the point where the flesh of their back would, would literally just be ribbons, and there would be, the flesh would be cut 
down to the bone itself where you could, where you could see that bone. Uh, verse 18 says, they part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. And we saw that previously in Mark, how the Roman soldiers were doing just that with even those meager garments that they took from the Lord Jesus Christ. And in all of that, you see how he's calling upon the Lord. Verse 19 says, Be not thou far from me, O Lord, O my strength. Haste thee to help me. And the Lord Jesus Christ, even as he's suffering that, um, it, the, the Scripture describes how he was obedient through those things because of the, the joy that was set before him. And the Lord Jesus Christ could look beyond what he was suffering there. He, he knew the part that all that was playing in the purpose of God. And, and certainly he would cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But you see, even in that, his, his trust is in the Lord. And he's trusting the Lord to deliver him. And, and realize that Christ knew, Christ knew that he was going to die there. He knew he wasn't going to be rescued from the cross. In fact, he could have, he could have taken them up on their, on their mocking when they told him to come down from the cross. He could have easily did that, but he didn't do that. Um, he, he stayed there. He understands what he's accomplishing, but he's looking beyond those present circumstances to the glory that, that would follow. And so you see, he looks at the, to the Lord as his strength and calls on him to, to haste to help him. Now, the end part of Psalm 22, is all in praise of God. You see, verse 22 says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Ye that fear the Lord, praise Him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify Him and fear Him. All ye the seed of Israel. For He hath not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Neither hath He hid His face from Him, but when He cried unto Him, He heard, My praise shall be of thee in the great congregation. I will pay my vows before them that fear Him. And, and all the rest of that is about this, this glorification of the Lord. And you see that change from my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? To then it's the Lord heard when He was cried unto. And really the, the last part of Psalm 22 finds its application with the, with the resurrection of Christ and Him being delivered there from the grave. Uh, now if we go back to our text in... Mark, Christ speaks those words, those first few words of Psalm 22, and he speaks them in, in Aramaic. Now, no doubt, also by this time, his voice is probably very weak. Uh, he's hard to, hard to understand. And they clearly misunderstand what he's saying there when he says those words, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Uh, you see in verse 35, it says, Some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he calleth Elias. And, and they're talking about the prophet Elijah, who, or the short name of Elijah would just be Eli. And so you can see how the word Eloi or, or Eli, which is the Aramaic word for God, for, for El or Elohim, um, you can see how they might confuse that with the name for Elijah. And uh, they think he's calling for the prophet Elijah. Now, Christ had spoken about the prophet Elijah in various times in his ministry, uh, he, but he's not calling for Elijah. Um, you see, when, when they hear that, they mock him all the more. Verse 36, 
It says one ran and filled a sponge full of vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink, saying, let us, let alone, let us see whether Elias will come to take him down. Now, giving him this vinegar to drink, previously, before they put him on the cross, they had offered him wine mixed with myrrh, which would be sort of a narcotic to, to kind of dull the pain. Um, here they offer him vinegar, and I don't know if you've just ever just drank some vinegar, but it's not something that would quench your thirst very well. This, again, is, is a part of the mocking here. They, they see that he thirsts, and they give him just this, this terrible thing to drink. Um, you know, they put it on a sponge and lift it up there to his lips. Uh, and, and you see they're mocking him the whole time. Let's see if Elijah is going to come and take him down. Um, this, this giving him vinegar to drink uh, is a fulfillment of another psalm. And go back to Psalm 69. Many of these psalms, and especially the psalms of David, are prophetic of Christ in some way. Come down to verse 21. Notice what it says. Psalm 69, verse 21 says, They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Okay, Psalm 22 and Psalm 69 um, together describe, and this is hundreds of years in advance, they describe all kinds of specific details of the crucifixion of Christ. And it's not just chance that the crucifixion fulfills those things. God was inspiring David in both of those cases to write these things, these details of the crucifixion, so we could go back later and see their fulfillment in Christ. And Christ even quotes that first verse of Psalm 22 to give you that extra hint to go back there and, and look at what it says. Um, verse, verse 22 of Psalm 69 says, Let their table become a snare before them, and that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened that they see not and make their loins continually to shake. And there it's talking about Israel and that, that privileged position that God had given them, but that their table was going to become a snare, a, a trap to them, that through their pride they would, they would uh, turn that benefit that God had given to them into something else that would actually become a, a curse to them. And that's a verse then that's quoted later as you get into the book of Acts as a condemnation upon Israel for their continual rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if we go back to our text in Mark, if we go back to Mark chapter 15, we see it describes, uh, Mark 15 says how Christ was placed on the cross. Um, Mark chapter 15, if you, if you look back up at verse 25, it says it was the third hour and they crucified Him. So they put him on the cross the, the third hour of the day, which would be nine o'clock in the morning. Um, in verse 33, it says, when the sixth hour was come, that would be noon, when the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And you see, verse 37, it says, Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And that's taking place there at, at uh, three o'clock in the afternoon on that day. And so he's on the cross for six hours. Uh, three hours of that time, the, the, uh, there's darkness there, and he dies there at the, at the ninth hour. And it says that he 
gave up the ghost. This is a willing act of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't die like you and I die, where you know we don't really have a lot of say in the matter. Um, he, in fact, in, in uh, one of the other Gospels that records how he commended his spirit to God the Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ chooses to die there at that point. He gives up the ghost. He, Christ said that, that no man was going to take his life from him, but that he was going to lay it down of himself. And he makes that willing choice there at that hour to lay down his life. And that really is the central hour of all of Scripture. Um, there was a, a time previously in the earthly ministry of Christ when he said that his hour was not yet come. Right? This was the hour that he was talking about. This was the hour that he came into the world to, to come to. And the night before, the night before these events, remember he had prayed to God. And, and he had said, you know, what, what should I pray? Should I pray that you deliver me from this hour? He says, for this hour that I came. And here we see that hour, that, that ninth hour of that day, three o'clock in the afternoon, Christ lays down his life. He gives up the ghost. Uh, that work was completed there at that time. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608 339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.